Namaste and in La Ketch and welcome to this episode of One World in a New World. I'm Zen Benefiel, your host, and this week's guest is Kim Sorrell, who is a author of two books, Love Is and Cry Until You Laugh, two wonderful titles I'm sure have a lot to offer. And she's the owner or was the owner of English Hills Country Club and Terrace, which was an amazing event site golf course and just a wonderful business that she had for many years she's also involved in serving her community and others as executive director for rays of hope international and or i'm sorry for rays of hope for haiti and for care force international as well kim welcome to the show thank you thank you so much for having me all right, now that we fumbled through that a few times, this is wonderful. Um, so in, in this, you know, progression that you've had throughout life, when did you first begin the, to notice that there was something more than what was going on in the outer world, that there was this drive maybe inside or, or intuitive nature that you had that helped you on your sojourn? You know, it's so interesting because we all think that that people think like us, right? Like, mm. You know, if you think a certain way, you're like, ah, everybody thinks like that. You know, everybody's like that, and, right? Yes, and that's kind of a standard thing, and yet. And yet, right. And so uh, it took me a while to realize not everybody thinks like me. But I think I've always been uh, more in tune mm -hmm. with more of what's going on than just the physical world and my physical being and uh that's always been a part of my life i just didn't realize that it wasn't a part of everybody's life or not everybody recognized that part of their life stepping into the wayback machine without sherman and peabody what do you remember what what kind of things that were prompted or, or almost instantly brought up to you as we were began to talk about this because I for me I know once the subject comes up my mind starts going off on all kinds of tangents right and, and many memories if you will what what came up for you yeah I mean just even in childhood having dreams uh before things happened and um uh just um feelings you know feeling that there's so much more than mm -hmm. what meets the eye, that there's so much beyond uh, just what we see. And um, so I, I, those are the things, I guess. Sure, I, I understand in, in broad terms, I was hoping for something a little more specific as to how in that moment or in that process, there was this coalescence of people, places, and things that brought your inner or, or your intuition of what was about to happen or what was coming or hey gosh wouldn't it be nice if this would happen because that happens too right it's like you can think those things and, and innocent naively and then sometimes they actually unfold in front of you did you have any of those kinds of experiences you know i did actually when i was eight years old uh i my parents started talking about a swimming pool putting a swimming pool in our yard. And uh, 
didn't for so many for my brothers it didn't seem real my parents didn't think it was really going to happen but I started telling people we're going to get a swimming pool we we will have a swimming pool and I remember the neighbor kids going and telling their parents and then coming back to me saying oh my parents say you'll never have a swimming pool well guess what it wasn't too long and we had a swimming pool and so yeah you know, you can your, your words well, that's, and, and that's a very simplistic kind of thing but yet mm -hmm. and yet there's this process that took place that you know initially was mm, and then all of a sudden or over time there was a change of that and and, uh, and your desires were met right yeah. now as you got older and going through um, high school and early adult years were there some inklings or even friends that you were able to share with and, and grow your understanding or explanation or, or was this something that you still kind of kept to yourself for a while uh, yeah probably kept myself for a while but then then felt comfortable enough to open up to you know to, to close friends and um i had a couple of dreams uh about a friend of mine about her brother and about her dad, you mm -hmm. know, things that, that people couldn't know. And uh, that was pretty impactful. And, and shocking made me, to them too, huh? Shocking to them, very shocking to them. And and made me really think, wow, there's there's something more here. And so it um, that's really when I began to think I can tell people. They can think what they want about whatever mm -hmm. they want to think about, but I can but did you ever look for references in, in other things and books and other people and, and you know movies tv shows uh, whatnot to find some kind of reflection or, or confirmation validation for what you were experiencing yes yeah for sure yes i or even uh even things like um putting it out there and saying, if this is real, then I need this to happen. And then it would happen. And, and I would ask for crazy things like, if, if this is real, in the next scene of this movie, the girl's going to have a yellow shirt on. You know, things like that. And then sure enough, she would come out with a yellow shirt on. A movie I'd never seen before. So, yeah, kind of interesting stuff. Oh, it, it is. And it, it's funny how... Even in movies, you know, we can always say, well, you know, movie plots and things like that. Well, that doesn't necessarily give you the notion of what people are going to be wearing, kind of <laughs> colors of clothing and, and, you know, things like that. So it at least showed you that there was some additional connection that mm -hmm. oftentimes, and I have to admit for me too, it, it's so... It creates a lot of awe because you don't really understand how it all works and yet it does and it's more of a process than the specific details that you've got to put in place for it. Does, does it seem like way to you? Yes, yeah, yeah. I think you put it very well. Uh, it It is a process and uh, everything unfolds in its time. Do you recall... And, and do you now have a, a process of your own that you recognize so that when you, you know, experience, let's say, a, a moment of anxiety, 
that you are able to assuage that anxiety and, and move it into an anticipatory place of something about to happen that's cool rather than something about to happen that's oh my god right 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 yeah exactly yeah for sure uh you know it's like um people sometimes will say that uh your gut speaks louder than your heart and i think that that can be true that that i get a feeling in my stomach and it's like okay something's gonna happen and it can kind of go one way or the other and right. and so and um, have you ever looked into the science and other types of reflections that kind of bolster this experience? The reason I say that, and even ancient philosophies, the and it's funny, and I've talked about this on many a show already, the indigenous philosophy of the three brain system, I find to be just exquisite. And it talks to the point that you just made, your gut. That's the first brain, intuition your solar plexus. Now, science has shown that it, your gut is full of neurosensors. So according to the native philosophy, this is where we connect with all the vibrations that are around us. And we know from quantum physics now that in quantum mechanics, that everything's vibration. There is no solid matter at all. It just appears that way, right? And, you know, you don't want to still run into a wall or step out in front of a bus. And, there's this notion that there's more and it's all energy and that our thoughts and feelings can have an influence on that. So with the gut, the first brain, that's where you're in touch with everything. And then the heart is the second brain. And it also has neurosenses around it as, as well. What it keys into though is a sense of resonance. And there's a, a gentleman named uh, Matthias DeMott, who was uh, had an interview with uh, Tucker Carlson, of all people, and he was talking about what everybody really is seeking is empathic resonance, right? Mm -hmm. I see that as loving and being loved, mm -hmm. right? right? That's really what we're looking for. And so in this process of empathic resonance, your heart is able to determine where it's at. Well, when it, once you determine where it's at, then the third brain kicks in and you make choices as to what to do. That makes so much sense, for sure. Yeah. It does. Now, yeah. can we make that sense common in helping others to tune their own instrument? Because the body's an instrument, right? We just, we haven't known how to tune it, let alone play in concert. Right. And now it's time we learned how to play in concert globally because we're faced with we need to learn how to work together in order to bring our planet and ourselves back into balance mm -hmm. and it's possible so in this i have a, a sneaking suspicion that your book love is kind of goes in that direction and i apologize i haven't had a chance to read it am i correct well, you know, I, uh, I questioned love after dealing with losing my husband. I just questioned the, the reality of love, the truth about love, what love really is. And 
I've always known that love is more than a feeling or an emotion, mm-hmm. but it seems to be undefined. And it seems to be this mystery, like a, a mystery surrounding what love really is, even with all the books written about it and songs written about it. And then there's Ed Sheeran and there's Nicholas Sparks and whoever that, that try to tell us what love is. And so I decided I would take a year and really research and figure it out for myself, figure out what love really is. That's I, awesome. That's I awesome. Did. Now, and, you know, from tragedy comes triumph, unfortunately. And, and my condolences. How did that? I, I know it was shocking because I know what it's like to, to lose a loved one. And, and you don't, you can think about it, but you don't really know what goes on to the experience and, and the depths of that sense of being alone. Right. It, it, uh, it, it's excruciating at times. Um, now, coming out of that, though, because you, and this is the interesting thing about, you know, when you go down, you have an equal rise. And, and you know, you seek to kind of balance that out so you don't have too many bumps because those are, <laughs> you know, the devastation of loss is uh, not something you would experience a lot. Um, so when you came out of that and you, and you were finding about love, what were some of the key things that you found that then at the more you drilled down into it, built upon themselves in, in new and amazing ways? Yeah, I, so much, so much. I discovered that, that what I'd been taught about love, what was demonstrated to me as love, what I think a lot of people believe is love is not necessarily love. And uh, there are myths surrounding it, like things that we hear regularly, you know, that are just sort of common statements made, like love is a two-way street or, you know, putting a number to it, it's 50-50, it's 100-100, you know, whatever. And and the reality is love is not a, a feeling. It's not an emotion like fear or excitement. We don't live in fear. We don't live in excitement. Everything is not a scary movie, you know, and everything right. is not Disney World. And so we don't we don't live in those things, but we do live in love. Because love is something that you are. It's walking, talking, living, breathing. It's, it, it's something that is, em, embodies you. And so when you recognize love for what it is, um, you, you also recognize it's not a two-way street. Love is on you 100%. 100%. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you bring that baby home from the hospital and you have total control. You decide when the baby eats, you decide when the baby takes a bath, you decide when the baby lays down for a nap. And then six, seven months later, the, all of the Tupperware is all over the kitchen floor and the pots and pans are banging everywhere. And you realize you've lost all control and you will never get it back again. So we have no control over anyone but ourselves, no control. So love is not a two-way street. If you give love to get love, that's a transaction. That's like me giving you money for a pair of jeans. And love is not a transaction. When you give love to get love, you're setting yourself up for heartache Mm -hmm. and disappointment because you have no control over what comes back to you. You have zero control, but you have all control 
over what you give. Right. I totally agree with you. And, and to the point, what I perceive and what you were saying was that you, there's this place of exuding it. When you make that choice to have love as your center, this is where you are. And that doesn't mean you don't have rough moments and, and poor behaviors and things like that in the process, right? <laughs> However, you recenter easily and, and you take responsibility. And, and when you screw up, you apologize and you get better. Yes. Yeah. Now, how was that process in those where there's certain things, as I mentioned before, that, that were there layers to that where the deeper you explored, the more visceral the experience we got or, or became? Yeah, interesting, interesting way to put it. Um, so I use this 2,000-year-old poem that you hear at a lot of weddings, love is patient, love is kind, does not mm -hmm. envy, does not boast. Mm -hmm. And I kind of use that as a roadmap. I decided I would take one word a month and figure out, well, what is love that is patient? What does that even mean? What is love that is kind? And every single word ended up different than what I thought it was going to be, every single one, but then one played on the next. And so I started the year with looking for love that is patient. And every single month, it took me the entire month. It wasn't until the end of the month that something would happen. Some big, big thing would happen. And I go, oh, now I get it. Now kind I of wrapped it. it all up in a nice package and said, oh, here's, here's the gift. Right? right. Exactly. Exactly. So I was figured out what love that is patient is, and then was trying to live it while figuring out love that is kind. And then, so each month then just build it to the, to the next and the next. And so. Now, did you um, ever realize, uh, or let me ask you this. Okay. Was there a belief system transitioning to an experience system as you progressed? Because what I, think, I find that the reason I ask that is that we often have these belief systems, as you mentioned, that how we perceive love to be. And then, and even in spirituality, you know, there's these organized things and that are supposed to be this way and, and you're supposed to do these things. And, and the questions, the deep questions aren't necessarily appreciated because not many of those purveyors of truth have the real answers. Why? Because they're an experience you have to have in order to gain them <laughs> or converse the belief system into an experience system. Is that, and where could you go with that? And where have you taken that? Because I, this is what I hear you saying as you're developing this understanding, as you went after to experience exactly what it is and find out for yourself. Mm -hmm. How yeah. did that process, or did you recognize that you were shifting from a belief system to an experience system? I absolutely. I mean, even starting with the very first month, I realized that the things that I thought I knew about love were different than, than what they really are. And so, you know, we're all taught by our, our parents, our grandparents, our mentors, whoever's around us, you know, our teachers taught things about life in general and every day brings us to today. And so what we know, what we understand, our understanding of, of things are based on, on where we've been. And, and so what I knew about love is 
what I was taught about it and what I uh, knew about it from reading or, you know, from learning from people. And then to take that and change it to total mind shift into it's not about what's in your head with love. It's about what you do with love. You know, if you, if you keep love in a jar and you never let it out, your life will not change at all. You, you can do that. You can live that life. Well, many people would protect themselves like that and then wonder why, you know, things don't happen. <laughs> right, right. But when you open up that jar and you walk in that love, you let that love surround you and you walk in that love, everything changes. You, the way you see everything changes. Um, the uh, grace that you grant toward others, the mercy that you show, the understanding that people are where they're at and not everybody's at the same place. And the way I am today is different than the way I was in my 20s and in my 30s. There should be a book on how to get through your 20s, how to get through your 30s, like there is for adolescents and for babies, right? Right. I don't know. How to be an adult. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. How to be an adult then, right? Because yeah. things change and, and you evolve. Well, we're working on that uh, with the organization and foundation and, and peace movement that I'm the executive director of now. This, we have uh, two principles, live and let live. Live is a moral principle. It means have, you know being a good human. The let live is don't be an aggressor. Let other people live their lives, right? Mm -hmm. And so in the being a good human, we're working on unpacking what it means to be a good human. And how do we embody that with each other? And there's all kinds, of, there's a myriad of um, conversations that can have across many different levels. And so we hope to be able to engage some of those things, kind of like what we're doing here now. Now, in the unpacking of this process, did you start from a place that we mentioned the uh, feeling alone? When you lost your husband, did you have a sense of just falling into the void for a while? Is well, I had to figure out my life. I, I thought I knew what my life was going to bring, you know, that we were going to be in our 90s sitting on rockers on the front porch drinking lemonade. Sure. And all of a sudden at 47 years old, everything took a turn. And so it was this new discovery, this new way to live. And I had to figure out what that would even look like and allow it to, to um, evolve as it did and uh, without being anxious about it, without, you know, thinking, oh, gosh, now I'm alone. Now what? You know, or whatever, right, right. feeling sorry for myself or anything else. Well, what I was hoping to, to kind of drill down into to see the, at least that moment and of feeling of empty void of everything it may not have lasted long right and from what you are saying you were strong enough you were prepared enough not for the transition but you were prepared and prepared enough with your own self-awareness to get through it and get to get through it with a little more ease than had you not been 
sufficiently aware. Right. Yeah. 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 And I, I uh, was diagnosed with cancer four months before my husband was. And so I was going through my cancer. My husband um, was six weeks from the time he was diagnosed to the time he passed away. Ooh. And so it was quick. So I was still dealing with my stuff too, which I think put me in a little bit different mental state than had uh, my husband be the only thing I was dealing with at the time. And um, Kind of like uh, a double whammy, right? And, and one ended up not so good and the other obviously here we are today mm -hmm. you were right. able to transcend that at least um for a time anyway and, and congratulations for doing so yeah well thank you thanks for that yeah it's it's an interesting it was an interesting time uh, a time of not knowing i think more than anything you know like um whatever word to use void or you know what emptiness or whatever word to use, there's definitely a shift from feeling more whole to all of a sudden feeling disjointed and, mm -hmm. and, um, and incomplete uh, somehow. And so, you know, trying to bring the pieces back together, but I'll tell you, I really think something that is not talked about much, but I think is of great value is when I was physically ready to go back to work. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And I was had been running a nonprofit and I also had businesses I could go either direction and wasn't sure and and decided to take it slow. And uh, I started uh, as part-time bookkeeper. Oh, you saw me perk up because that's the adage today. Go slow to go fast. If you're trying, if you're doing things with haste, you're going to miss stuff. And you're going <laughs> to have to go back and... and you know, fix the holes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so true. When you slow down enough to be mindful, prepared, um, strategically as well as intellectually and, and even spiritually to be focused and centered and allow things, ask the questions and allow the answers to come. And they do, as you've experienced it and many like us have, though we often think differently than the majority of people. So how do we bring that back around and share it with the public so that they too can rise into their own greater experience of joy and happiness? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, I think uh, one thing is that there are things in life that there are things in life that we have more control over than we realize. There are things in life that we have no control over. And there are things in life that we have total control over. Mm -hmm. So losing my husband, I wouldn't pick that. And I had, I had no control over that, no mm -hmm. control over that. But what I do have total control of is how I live and how I want joy and happiness in my life. And I don't want to uh, just stop in the grief and just hang there for the rest right. of my life. But I, I, the baggies. there's no carry on on this flight. There's no carry on. No, you come as you are with the clothes on your back and, and have at it and see what life brings you and allow yourself that allow yourself to choose happiness and joy. And that's so scary for a lot of us in, in, you know, the not knowing and, and it's frightening because we're, 
you know, told that there's all these lurking things that can take advantage of you and, and so on and so forth. And I say that lightly, and, and yet that's kind of the way it appears to be, all these false narratives mm -hmm. right, that, are, that we're being pummeled with constantly. And like you said, how do you, the, you were alluding to choice, right? That's one thing we have total control over. Mm -hmm. How did you first, I know you probably found that when you were younger, how did you bring that back into the process of living your life in, as you were discovering what love is? Well, I was in Haiti most of the time when I was working on uh, figuring out what love is. And existing in Haiti is different than existing in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where I live. Oh, absolutely. Can we unpack that? Because I, I heard mm -hmm. a, a friend of mine the other day that spent some time in Haiti, and he said the difference there and in many other countries is we're family. You know, if somebody's broken down on the side of the road, they're not there for long. In America, you drive right past them usually. Yeah, that's one thing, I guess, that, you know, that that's true. I, I You know, the whole it takes a village sort yeah. of thing, right? Yeah. That, that some people uh, want to ignore, but it's the reality that we're, well, we are all we're, in this together. We're tied to the clock, to time, to making money. You know, if I stop to, to help them, I'm going to be late for work. Mm -hmm. Right, right. But if you stop to help them, then your world shifts in a different way. Mm. And late to work doesn't matter anymore. Right. Right. And it shouldn't if you're helping someone. Right, right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah. And, and so uh, it was a unique place, a unique setting for sure. Because uh, it's a it's survival for one thing there. Now, was it the hurricane that brought you there? Um, earthquake, or, actually. Or earthquake. Uh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Two weeks after I decided to take this part time job as a bookkeeper at Rays of Hope International, uh, there was an earthquake that killed two hundred thousand people in Haiti. And so within two weeks after that, I was in Haiti. And then I was in Haiti for at least part of every month for the next several years. And that's, uh, it was so healing. I believe service is a great healer. When you get out of yourself and you give to others mm -hmm. and it's no longer all about you, uh, it, there's such healing in that. And you can't outgive. You know, you think you're giving. You're giving, right? So there, there's some sacrifice that you're making because you're giving. But what you receive is so much greater than what you can ever give. That you can give more and you receive more. Not because you give to receive, but because that's how, how it works. Right. And it's often not tangible. It's intrinsic. It, it, it's that visceral experience of an elevated sense of togetherness mm -hmm. i don't want to say it elevates sense of self but however that too right it it's not independent though it's more of a collective sense because of, of uh, it let me <laughs> i speak that is that what you find uh, absolutely 
Absolutely. I mean, you know, there, there certainly is individualness to it, but it is more collective. It is more realizing that we're in this together. People are people all over the world, you know, none, mm -hmm. none better than another, none worse than another. Right. We've got different skill sets to apply to a situation, which again, makes it a community effort, right? Right, right. Right, exactly. And the different skill sets are great. Like we, we need that. We Necessary. need a combination of all of us. And it's with a combination of all of us. It's the working together that you really see things happen. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's tough to live on $2 a day. And like so many people in Haiti do. That's not easy. You know, you're... You're surviving. You're not sure where your next meal is coming from. Yeah. That's all. Africa is the same way. I heard recently that, you know, there's what, uh, 5 billion people or something like that. And, and over 40% of them make less than a dollar a day. Mm -hmm. Or, or right. something. that may not be a correct, but it's that. Uh, you're pretty close. Disparate, right? Right. right. Now, how do we, how do we, because therein is the issue with time and money. Right. How do how do you see that being overcome or, or a transition from that kind of activity, the time over money thing, to something where prosperity exists and the money secondary? Do you see that happening? I I see it possible. I don't see it happening everywhere, but I see it as, as a possibility. Well, usually happens. I would imagine that it happened in Haiti with the um, disaster relief. Would, would that be true? Uh, to a certain extent. Um, the world certainly showed up when the earthquake happened. You know, 200,000 people. Think about it. You know, we lost a couple thousand in the World Trade Center. And that was devastating. Of course, that was devastating. Right. But 200,000 people. You know, that, that's a hard number to even wrap your head around, right? And not much and, of it was televised. No, right, right. And so we couldn't have that, oh my gosh, kind of. Right, yeah, exactly. The experience of it and, and to even try to grasp it. But it, the world showed up, but not all the money made it there. Even the money that the U.S. said, yeah, we'll pledge, you know, this much, whatever the numbers are in another country, we'll pledge this much. But everybody has strings attached to mm. money, unfortunately. And it's, it's more like, well, we'll give you this much if you hire all American workers and you use all American equipment and you, uh, you know, make sure that you import the majority of your rice so that our farmers are doing okay. And we hurt each other so much in the world. And there are so many people that, that make money out of poverty, make money off the backs of the poor. And that in itself is just a whole mind shift to realize that we do live in this excess. You know, how, how often do you throw away a rotten tomato that you bought at the store that you didn't get around to eating, right? Okay. Or, or something goes stale. And... How many people are there in the world that have no food? And how can there be such a, such a division in the haves and the have-nots? And, and what can be done to bridge the gap? 
a bit. And what do you think the, some of those answers might be? Well, I think, I think one thing is that for whatever reason, we don't want one t-shirt, we want five t-shirts. We, we don't want one pair of jeans, we, we want eight pairs of jeans. And so those t-shirts might be made in a place like Haiti. And we can buy five of them because it's cheap to buy five of them. And we only wanna pay so much for them. So we pay this low price for five of them, which means that the people that are working make very little. I think the minimum wage in Haiti is $7 a day. $7 a day for an eight to 10 hour shift working in a factory, $7. Well, when a gallon of milk is eight, $9, $7 a day, doesn't go very far. Mm -mm. And, but it's because we want more, we want more. Whereas if we were to realize, well, shoot, if we paid more for one t-shirt, that would mean that the people that are making them could make more money. Do we really need as many t-shirts as we have? I mean, pe people are giving away clothes in, in bags to uh, you know the thrift store or whatever, right? We're sending bundles of clothes, of used clothing, by the container loads, just bundle after bundle after bundle to places like Haiti. Because we have way too many clothes here that have been given away that aren't used anymore mm -hmm. that we send them overseas to third world countries thinking that we're, we're going to help them out over there. Well, do we need as much as we have? You know, where, where is the balance? And I think people don't realize that when you go to Walmart and you go, wow, great, you know, six t-shirts for $20. Yeah, I'm in. Um, what that really means. And that if instead you say, you know what, let's make sure that we're buying from a factory that the people are getting paid more money, you know, whatever, and, and try to make a shift happen and try to change thinking and then get one t-shirt and at a time instead of the six. Great idea. They're in, in the com simple idea, very complex in how to, to change that around in order to, first of all, shift the mentality of folks to actually perceive things differently that way because most folks don't think we are so inundated with consumerist propaganda and it's kind of like uh, i'm reflecting on uh, howard bloom's book lucifer principle and in it basically he takes a scientific study on the history of how masses of people populations, sometimes entire populations, were manipulated by a few who sang, so <laughs> yeah, sang songs, who uh, had false narratives, total lies that were repeated over and over again and controlled the media streams, whether it be a town crier or the internet, and that people bought into it because of it. That, that was the only information they had. So they eventually just gave up and right okay i'll acquiesce to that and believe it to be true well what kind of world do we really want to live in do we want something like that we first have to be aware that it's happening 
most that, of us aren't aware of that that has happened. Exactly. That's a big part of it, I think, is education. I think people are not aware. Don't, you know, that not everybody travels to third world countries. You know, not no. everybody goes and sees or, or thinks about, well, where where's this made? How much are they making? You know, what are the conditions? You know, we're, no, we don't necessarily how, think you know, about it. How cheap can I get it? And is it good quality? Right, right, right. And is it on sale on Black Friday? Right. Right. <laughs> Yes. Well, you mentioned education. There's another thing uh, in the educational system here, and, and you've progressed through it and, and got college education as well. Did you find that you were ever, um, throughout the whole process, assessed for your aptitude, your attitude, your proclivities, uh, and or your natural skill set, and then supported in a passion that you had in putting those all together? Uh, no. And I, I think part of the problem too is, uh, I think we know down deep what we want, what we're good at, you know, what, what we should be doing, our contribution to the world should be, you know, what our life should look, mm -hmm. look like. But we're told that we're dreaming too big or we're told that we can't do that, that you, you can't have everything, that you, you shouldn't want that, that you shouldn't, do that. And when we're told these things, starting at a young age, and when we're told these things over and over, the real us kind of gets squished down. The artist, and the musician, the painter, exactly. you know, writer. Right, right, exactly. And get no, the mold, go to school, learn the data, regurgitate it, get your grades, mm -hmm. find a job, you know, get an education, find a job instead of creating something. Mm -hmm. right, fit into the structure that we have now in america we're still in the dewey system for educational so this was created just after world war ii in order to put people to work in factories now the world is a completely different place what i find and this is what i think you find out when you get to know people from other cultures um several years ago i, I met a woman and, and fell in love twin flame kind of stuff but sounds kind of out there to some people however it's what it is and she's from st petersburg russia so we've always known in america how disciplined and highly trained russian athletes were right they right and, and of course we see them as an enemy let's take the enemy side out of it and let's just look at how the systems are built and, and what's in them educationally speaking and their educational system she told me at five years old she got assessed and it was either piano or gymnastics. And the, the assessment went to the point where they actually saw the, you know, how far her fingers could stretch, what her musical aptitude was, whether she could sing, hold notes, recognize things, as, as well as, you know, being able to do things physically for gymnastics. Well, she chose piano because that was more uh, a tender heart thing for her, I think. And so throughout her educational career it was all about piano now the well-roundedness of it she got everything else too but there was a specific theme or um what's the word uh, stream of yeah classes that were geared towards piano and she went clear through the conservatory and graduated from there world-class pianist mm -hmm. as a result and teacher so we 
And I say that because in contrast, our educational system never assesses a kid at the beginning except for what he knows in his math, reading, and science, uh, uh, arithmetic, yeah, math, reading, and uh, writing. writing. Mm -hmm. Right, right. That, that, that's so true. That's such a good point. And, you know, even in, in uh, France, we had an exchange student from Paris one year, and uh, in high school, you took either the engineering tract or took, track. Thank you. Right? Yeah, yeah. Or you took the teaching tract. Like there, there were certain ones that by eighth grade, depending on what subjects you excel in and what your grades are like and where it seems like you have greater ability, you know, that, that determines where you're going to go to high school, what classes you'll take in high school, rather than just everybody taking the same classes mm -hmm. and the general ed and whatever. And certainly people evolve and change, but how nice to at least identify that there is something special about each person. Absolutely. Why not? We're not a, a homogenous society. Well, right. the diversity is just huge. And, you know, the sooner we can learn to take advantage of that adversity, then we can really put all those various skill sets to work, right? And not necessarily for time and money. However, that will come too. What we're talking about, though, is to refocus in that essence of what love is and begin from there instead of what love isn't and trying to push an agenda to discover what love is according to right, right the fulfillment right. of love which never really happens right or or even even a step farther thinking that love isn't involved in certain things that love has nothing to do with certain things and that and that's not true love love has everything to do with everything and so, you know, people will um, say sometimes, well, what does this have to do with my workplace? Or what does this have to do with what I want to do in life? Or what does this have to do with, with anything other than your relationship with your spouse or your friends? Well, it's got a lot to do with it. Have everything to do with it. What was it that came out just recently? Uh, it's been a while. If you're not having fun, you're doing something wrong. Right. Uh, maybe not something wrong, but because that's kind of we're getting out of that right, wrong, good, bad, white, black things because the those are polarizing things. And, and even with the like we were talking earlier about complementary and non-complementary behaviors, right? Where mm -hmm. you show someone and, and the non-complementary usually comes in um transitioning an aggressive behavior into something more malleable and and, uh, and workable as somebody that's in an aggressive state that's out of control not much you can do except love them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and right. that's what gets them to change yeah i mean if you think about the people in your life that you're drawn to the people that you want to be around the people you want to emulate if you think about it, it's probably, they're, they're probably the ones showing the most love. They're probably the ones living in love more than others. They probably are more merciful 
they're probably kinder because love is merciful and love is kind. Mm-hmm. And and they're non-judgmental because love doesn't judge. And love lets people be exactly who they believe they're created to be right. instead of trying to push who you think they should be. And that's um, not a religious... That, that, there is no religious separation in that. This right. is that's a ubiquitous experience. Yeah, it's everybody everywhere. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's um, it reminds me that I had an experience in college, or yeah, in college as a teenager, that it was a demonstration. I, I prayed to know what truth was. And I was willing to die for it if necessary. I was distraught. I was orphaned, adopted young so i had these other questions going on in my head that most kids don't because they don't have that absence of history in their lives and so i questioned what truth was i was willing to die for it if necessary well the following week i was meditating and and this voice i've been familiar with since a kid asked me if i was willing to die for what i believed in and i paused for a moment and I thought, oh shit what do i believe in? right and the first thing i thought of was christ consciousness felt a little empty for some reason. I didn't question it, but I moved on to cosmic consciousness and that felt full. So I said, yes. And then I exited my body, went into light, into a sphere of points of light and and that and eventually came back into my body. There's a lot of stuff that happened during that time, but I, I don't want to digress in the conversation. What I learned from that was that we're all cosmic consciousness condensed into form into these forms we're just not aware of it we're all connected to that love source because it's the energy that permeates everything Mm -hmm. we've tried to define it and categorize it and structure it and you know behavioral analysis it Um, and where are we going to go eventually where do you think that this is going to take us and with your discoveries how do you see that fitting in to others that are doing similar things? And and are y'all talking to each other? (laughs) We need to be talking to each other. That's for sure. I mean, you know, really, I'm so passionate about the things that I learned about sharing the things that I learned about love, because I know the world would be a different place. I mean, it's, it's life changing. It's world rocking Mm -hmm. stuff that changes everything. When you, can shift first of all recognize that maybe everything you were taught about love isn't love you know recognize that maybe there's a different definition than the one you know and and then be open to it and then not just be open to it but but want to live it want to live love for what it really is and be loved to yourself and be loved to others everything changes your relationships change, your workplace changes, your home life changes, you're different at the grocery store, you're a different person in a traffic jam. Because mm-hmm. you you recognize that it's not about getting somewhere quickly. Right. It's not about the outer world at all. Right. It's not. It's, it's about not. the choices you make internally and how you respond in kindness to those experiences, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Now, do you see that that is something that, as a population, um, being able to demonstrate it, 
because we can talk about it all we want, right? And you and I and others like us, we have this understanding, this knowing, this faith, trust. It's even beyond faith. It's the, it's the knowing that because I'm doing these things, life is going to be better for me. We don't necessarily put the specific as to how. We just know that there's this sense of how it's going to be. Right. Which that that knowing for whatever do you see this being able to take small groups of people eventually larger groups of people to a new living awareness and experience and I do. How, how might we do that yeah i mean i i see it as a movement i see it as as it starts with the one right but then the one tells somebody now there's two Mm -hmm. And then there's four and then there's eight. And that's kind of like live and let live, eh? Live and <laughs> absolutely live and let live. I mean, I love live and let live because both of those things are so important. Live, but know how to live. You know, learn more about, be open to how you should live. Be open to what that means. But also let live. Let people be who they believe they're created to be. You don't, we don't they have to try to fix people. Let people be who they believe that they are, you know, who they believe they're created to be without any judgment or condemnation or, or I'm better than, I'm smarter than, I'm greater than. No, no, right. we're, we're all the same. We're all the same. Let people if be. If we see how, you know, people having challenges, we can, you know, make suggestions as to, mm, you if, might if they want to hear them. Yeah. If, yeah. if they want to hear them, right? Exactly. I mean, unsolicited advice isn't so great. That's still being an aggressor. It's being an aggressor. If somebody wants advice, you know, recognize the circumstance. And are they really asking for advice or are they just mad at their husband right now? Right. You know, I mean, maybe they just want to vent for a second. And and, yeah. and if you agree with them and say, yes, yeah. and that's a, a troll, you're right, you're right. Well, they're going to remember <laughs> that the next day you call, called their husband a troll and now they're back in love again. Oh, sure. So what are they going to think of you? Right. Well, the interesting thing is that relationships do have you've got to be able to be yourself in a relationship authentically raw and not take it personally mm -hmm. right because it, the love is still in the foundation you know that when we started our relationship i, I said it, it's faith love and trust in each other that's the bottom line if we ever lose that then we gotta you know we feel like we're out of that then we gotta recenter and, and get back into that place because that's where life is mm -hmm. very good now that doesn't say we're not going to have bad days and we're not going to freak out or that um you know emotions might get high during certain times of the month right and right. you know because there are you know you're not out, you're not in control <laughs> right. now do you find that the that the masculine and feminine ways of dealing with those kinds of things that kind of like john gray stuff or you know men are from mars Mar and are from mm -hmm. venus yeah. there's this different way that we handle things how does that show up and what in your experience have you been able to do to bridge those kinds of situations to to get men to think a little to understand first of all how a little more how women think and feel and how they respond to things yeah well you know i think guys aren't set up to do that no no they're not 
No, no, men can think of one thing at a time. I heard, I heard um, men and women described this way once, that, that women are a mall. And they can be looking at purses and, and dresses and sweaters and shoes and groceries, you know, whatever store is there, whatever's around. They can, they can shop for all of it at the same time. And men are lids, a store that sells one thing. <laughs> they sell hats. That's all they sell. And, and that, that's how men focus, where women are, you know, thinking mm -hmm. about different things all the time. And so I, I think so much of it comes down to communication. I had a moment early in my marriage where I, I thought, man, I'm going to knock his socks off. You know, I'm going to clean our apartment and have candles on the dinner table, make his favorite. He loved lasagna, make lasagna for him, which, you know, it takes a minute to do and love German chocolate cake. Takes forever to make German chocolate cake from scratch, but I made a German chocolate cake and and I had the lights down low and, he, and we're in something a little skimpy, a little sexy. And he walked in and I'm thinking he's going to say, oh, baby, you look great. And, oh, wow, the apartment looks great. And then sit down to this meal and go, oh, gosh, I can't believe you did this for me. It's wonderful. I love this. I love this. Well, he didn't say a word. He didn't say a word. He it came in like it was any other day. You know, well, how was your day? Well, how was your day? Didn't say a word about any of it. Like he didn't see any of it. And so by the time dessert was served, I was so angry. My, my blood was boiling because he didn't say anything. So I practically threw a piece of cake at him at the end of the meal. And he said- And he was probably going, hey, what's going on? I don't understand. Exactly. He said, what is wrong with you? And I said, what's wrong with me? It's not what's wrong with me. It's what's wrong with you. I did all this. I worked so hard. You've done nothing. You, you've not said a word about it. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. First of all, I don't read minds. I, I didn't know you expected me to say those things. Secondly, I haven't done anything wrong. It's your expectations that got you in trouble. And I'm like, what are you talking about? My expectations. And I went in our bedroom, slammed the door. My expectations, some nerve. Who does he think he is? My dad trying to teach me a lesson or, you know, whatever. And I thought, my expectations. And I went, mm, my expectations. He was, Damn it, he was right. Yeah. Doggone it. He's right. But it's so true. You know, we, we get wrapped up in our expectations to a point where, you know, we, we think it's the man that has to bring romance to the, to the marriage. Well, maybe the man doesn't need romance. My husband was left-handed. He said, because he was left-handed, he, he couldn't, wasn't good at compliments or romance. I don't know why he said that, but that's what he would say. But I wanted romance. I needed it. Sure, so sure. I finally figured out it's okay for the woman to create it. So I created the romance, right? And, and so much of it just comes down to communication. So instead of waiting for them to say, man, you look good, say to them, don't I look hot tonight? I'm looking pretty good. Aren't I looking pretty good? Like, it's okay. It's okay to say whatever it is that you want them to say, let them know, let right. them know, you know, communicate, 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 right? Now, and I will say that the mindfulness of the male aspect would be to, in my opinion, acknowledge, to be observant enough and aware enough to recognize all of this that had taken place and at least 
acknowledge it. You know, with whether you're right-handed you know, or left-handed. I appreciate everything that you did. And so, you know, he was right in that it was your expectations, but he was also negligent in being present. Sure, sure. Right, because yes. in that love place is the acknowledgement. Right, right. But you know, everybody's different that way. Oh, absolutely. And, and we all, however, some of us may not have it. When we are in relationship, it's not about us anymore. It's about being part of the other and what the other needs. Not that you're codependent to that, but that you care enough to embrace that part of yourself in the other that offers that reflection. Does that make sense? It does make sense, but it, those are things that you learn about each other as well, right? Oh, absolutely. The, the needs of the other person. And, and so like with my husband, he did things for me all the time and never expected me to say, Oh honey, hey, it's so nice that you did that, you know, or wow, you, you did that. I, that was, the sweetest thing you really saved me time or he expected nothing he had mm -hmm. he had no expectations of me ever saying anything and if i did it was fine but if i didn't it mattered not to him so to him those things didn't matter the voicing the things didn't matter it was doing the things that mattered and so then he didn't that's the example that I not the words the actions right and his right. kids we hear all kinds of words from parents others and, and then we discern okay they say that they're doing this right uh -huh. it's not matching up here <laughs> right right now, is that the beginning of cognitive dissonance internally <laughs> perhaps yeah. for the kid right i believe this i'm experiencing that and they, you've got these two outer things that are in conflict that, that could cause some um, maybe not damage but confusion Right. internally for kids for a while yeah i mean simple simple things that that just to relate it to like um i got caught smoking in seventh grade <gasps> well, my mom smoked a pack and a half a day so right. she's holding a cigarette saying you're in trouble you know you you were smoking here she's got a cigarette in her hand telling me i'm in trouble because i was smoking and it's like well something just I understood I wasn't old enough to smoke. I understood I should be in trouble for it. But how do you say it with a cigarette in your hand? You know, it's different coming from someone who doesn't smoke probably, right? Right. So, right. you know, kind of to simplify sort of what you're saying is. Well, it puts that do as I say, not as I do into perspective in the maturation process, right? Where we set ages as to where you ought to be able to to do these things on of your own accord by your own free will rather than violate those prior to you know whether it's drinking or sex or whatever there there's you know going to war or, or enlisting um, there's those age brackets that supposedly are where we ought to be in that and they're arbitrary right because kids sometimes are are can handle themselves as much more mature at 13, 14 year old than some people are at 50. <laughs> True. Right. Right. Just a number. Kind yeah. of kind of like, you know, the lines on the map are just lines that we created. 
just attempting to orient ourselves and what? Be in control. <laughs> right. 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 Love that word. <laughs> it's, um, yeah. I, I prefer Maxwell Smart in those cases. Um, working for control, right? And this arbitrary kind of nonsense stuff. Speaking of that, though, the arbitrary nonsense stuff, how do we get through our own stuff that keeps us from ascending into that new living awareness that you've outlined and is throughout your book? I think some of it is is that you have to let go. You have to let go. You have to let the past be in the past and you have to let go. You know, anytime that we hang on to whatever it is we're hanging on to, good good or bad you know or you know the mess of the past or um or things that we were taught or whatever when we hang on too tightly then we're not going to change we're not going to evolve we're not going to we're not going to grow but when I you understand can... that now and i'm sure the audience does too how do you have a process do you have something that treat that where you have a mental trigger that gets, or a switch that gets flipped. It's, okay, now I got to run this, <laughs> I have to run this pattern or, or run this tape or run this software program to move through this. What's, what's the essence of that software that you use to move from one place to another? Yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to self-awareness, uh, but how do you get there, right, is what you're saying. And, mm -hmm. and how do you recognize when you're putting up your own roadblocks. Right. What, what are the simple things that you've recognized you do to move through that? Because those are the keys. We talk, like I say, we talk about it forever, having the tools and then being able to apply them. We can have tools and not do anything about it. And, you know, whose fault is that? Right. What right. are the tools that you found work for you? Uh, the things that I found that work for me is um, expectations is a big thing. That it is a big thing. I mean, mm -hmm. certainly there are, are times in life when you can expect something. You, you work, you expect a paycheck. You know, there, there are times that there are things that you expect. But when you uh, are working on love and you're working on yourself and you're, you're working on, on loving more, anytime you realize that you're saying, oh my gosh, I just did that for them and they didn't even acknowledge me. Catch yourself and say, wait a minute, did I do it for the acknowledgement or did I do it because I love them? Did I do it out of love or did I do it out of, I have something to gain from it and, and catch yourself and catch yourself. And when you are engaged with somebody, when you're face to face with somebody and talking to them, if your mind starts to wander, bring it back, bring it back, bring it back and be present in the moment and love fully to be fully present in the moment and really listen to what somebody has to say. Mm -hmm. And when you start to think about what you're going to say next, stop yourself and turn back to listening again. And just doing those simple things uh, will change, will change the way you think about love the way you live love. Do you practice active listening? Because you did, you just spoke of the first half of that, right? It is the intense listening to what the other person has to say without wanting to interfere or say yes. your own stuff. 
the other half of that is reflecting back to the person what you just heard them say. So how is that? What are some of the things? Because this is where we, we, I see the disconnect happening where people know that that's a process to use and, and yet they're uncomfortable in doing it because it feels almost fake at first. Well, right. maybe it does feel fake at first, but if you do it with authenticity, if, if you're doing it for the right reasons, eventually you'll be very comfortable in doing it mm -hmm. and it'll become second nature instead of what is second nature to you now. And you can ask those probing questions to know more rather than, and then begin to correlate or, or you know, if there's an opportunity because people love to share and then there's a reciprocal side of that. So there's this sharing of conversations as to where the person that just shared an experience and the other person can relate one of their experiences that has a similar flavor. And that kind of comes in that active listening process if it's done well. Mm -hmm. And and there's no, it, it's authentic. It's not, oh, I'm overthinking you or, or I'm in competition with you. Right. right. Oh, it's better than yours. Yes. Right. right. And because that's what we often think when somebody starts talking about one of their experiences. Oh, you're just competing with what I just said. Well, there may be another thing. And there again, that's a misperception that isn't questioned. There's that silent judgment that takes place, and it's never spoken in the conversation. Instead of, you know, well, when you're talking about this, it, it kind of felt like you were in competition with what I was just saying. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I felt. Are there, that's a place of vulnerability that folks just really have a, a hard time going to because it's an unknown, right? It, you're mm -hmm. questioning. You don't know what's going to happen. And that's why you're asking the questions. You know, though, it comes back to choice. Mm -hmm. It comes back to when, when you tell a story and somebody else tells a story that you, you can think one of two ways. You can think, wow, it's interesting to hear their perspective on their story. Or you can think, hmm, are they trying to one-up me? Are they mm -hmm. trying to outdo my story? If you, if you go there, you're going to be frustrated listening to that story. All right. And, right? But if instead you go, wow, well, they had a similar experience. Good for them. You know, well, they, aren't they we naturally tangential and we loose associate ad infinitum with just a word or a phrase. We're off someplace else. So why not acknowledge that in conversation and bring it into the conversation? Right. And let it happen. Yeah. Let it be part of the conversation. That's fine. Somebody wants, wants to tell their, you know, what happened to, to them that they think relates to what happened to you. That's fine. Let, mm -hmm. let it happen. That's okay. And then there would be that necessary piece of uh, agreement, I guess, of, uh, or acknowledgement that this is how this conversation is, is unpacking itself. These are kind of the situations we might explore and, and how we're going to do things. Kind of like I set this conversation with you up, right? Here's what we're going to do and kind of where we're going to have no idea where we're going to go or how we're going to get there. This is the general direction that we're going to head, and these are the parameters that we're going to use. Mm -hmm. right. Now, how often do we, 
or do you do you think that that's something that's necessary to include in engagements in conversation prior to having them and is it wanting to control things to a point where it's taking a little too far or are those kinds of parameters worth putting in place in order to have an elevated conversation? If you do the opposite, if you do the opposite of what you're saying. So, so one thing would be to say, okay, you know, let's agree right now that if we share stories, we swap stories back and forth, that it's not trying to one up each other. You know, you're not trying to take my thunder, steal my thunder, you know, whatever. As opposed to letting a conversation unfold and whatever the person says they say without you thinking negatively about it, without you assuming they're trying to one-up you, without you thinking that that's even a possibility, instead of just, instead, just listen, listen mm -hmm. to what they have to say, that, that then you don't have to have that conversation. You can just let the conversation happen well, and right. thinking the best instead of thinking the worst. And having that conversation, to the, the precursor, uh, usually doesn't happen. And in rare cases, does it ever because we launch into conversations? We just don't think about that kind of stuff because conversations happen, right? They're right. free flowing. And yet, it's what do we bring into that conversation? Who are we stepping into that conversation, first of all? And how aware are we of ourselves that then we can see those kinds of things in others and be able to, you know, micro expressions, body language, tone of voice, those kinds of things that let us know kind of where they are energetically and, and check in with the gut, right? Because you're going to feel what's going on and it's totally nonverbal. You're just observing and reflecting within yourself that's a, a state of self-awareness that it would be wonderful to see being practiced in our schools, for instance, because this training, this is training, right? We have to train ourselves. Well, when are we going to cop to the fact that we needed this training early in life? And, you know, because our lives have gotten so messed up by adulthood that we sometimes don't know how to fix them or and can't. For whatever reason and, and we have all kinds of aberrant behaviors and, and um, destructive results right 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 that, that's where where love comes in with the with the mercy and the grace and realizing that we haven't been trained and that we're all at different places and i i have um uh, a woman in my life that uh, my dad, uh, remarried after my mom died mm -hmm. and she used to drive me crazy because no matter what you said, she had a better story and, and no matter what, it always came back to her kids and her grandkids, everything, everything, everything was just all about her, all about her kids, her grandkids. And so you couldn't ever just tell a story, you know, it didn't ever matter. Everything didn't matter what you said, it would come back. And it used to really bother me. And then I realized, you know, it shouldn't bother me. I, I believe now, I just believe she's limited. 
Like some she people, knows, that's how she can relate. So that's exactly, the only place she can share from. Exactly. That's all it is. That's all it is. So it's not a personal attack on anything that no, I have. Because her natural desire is to want to connect. Right. Right. And that's how she knows to connect. That's what she knows. So it took me a few years to get to that realization. But when I did. Because where were you? You were in you. You weren't in her. Right. So once you exactly. start trying to figure out who she is, then you were able to reflect on that. And go, oh, wow, that's um, not where I was at. And I mm -hmm. get it now. But you <laughs> exactly. had to step out of yourself and ask the questions. Well, why is this happening? Or, or you know, where is she really at? What? And it, but it, and gosh, easy for me to say. I, I'm jumping all over the place. When you're in that state of self-awareness, it's a gradual, um, it's, it's a leap of faith to begin with, and it's a gradual ascension of a staircase that leads you to being able to understand the world and your worldview changes because you recognize, well, if these patterns are different, it's like chaos right? We perceive chaos. Is it really chaos? Or is it just patterns that we don't recognize yet? So we believe that it's chaos because it, it's it's an unknown factor because we haven't learned how to work with it yet. Mm. You know, harmony to me is managed chaos. Mm. Yeah. No others, right? Yeah. There are patterns. It's math and science. It's rhythm, cycles, patterns, spirals, what, whatever you want to go to it it's built on a very solid model of energy and patterns and math and science that's the way that the universe is we're discovering that how have you discovered in your own process of how that equates to a more comfortable place of being able to share both the inner and the outer reflection with that terminology that bridges worlds Well, I think it goes back to uh, self-awareness and why, why are you reacting the way that you are reacting to something being said? Mm -hmm. Because there's so many times that, that I would hear something that was really benign, you know, very innocent, but yet my mind would go someplace else because a certain word or something would trigger, right? Something from your past and then you go there instead of where... It actually is. Right. And so to uh, kind of self-assess and go, why is my blood pressure going up? You know, why Why are, is the hair on the back of my neck standing up? Why is this bothering me? Why is this bothering me? And most, if not all the time, it has nothing to do with the person and what they said. Mm -hmm. It's that not That sounds fault. pretty self-centered now, doesn't it? <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's not the ego. Right? right you're not projecting what you're doing is you're wanting to tune in further and to mm -hmm. start with you who else do you have who's perceiving things you are who's making the choices you are whose mind are you experiencing yours right 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 i mean two people can be in the same traffic jam and one guy in one car is honking his horn and screaming obscenities and yelling and his blood pressure is rising and he's face is turning red and he's out of control and in the very next car is a guy going ah 
I'm in a traffic jam, you know, let me look Turn for a radio podcast. and start singing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, I can get some work done while I'm sitting here. You know, I can yeah. listen to something good while I'm sitting here. And so it's, it is about choice and how you handle things and, and not letting other people determine your choice, not giving people that power. Cool. Is there one specific thing that you can think of to offer the audience as to something they could practice on a moment to moment basis when they feel themselves triggered? I know you've given a, a several things that can we put it into succinct form? Um, yes. Yeah. I would say the, the best thing that you can do is really listen with no assumptions taking all labels away from whoever it is you're listening to and letting them be what their name is, period. You know, who, who they are, not, not the things they do or different beliefs they have, but who, who they are, who they truly are. And then listen to the words and truly listen and not prejudging, not assuming anything, but take the words for what they are. Just take the words for what they are. And if you need clarification, ask, but just listen, just listen. You, you find out that when you do that, instead of making assumptions, instead of having your rebuttal ready, instead of, of uh, putting words into their mouth, when you just really listen to the words, there's a lot less conflict and you realize we're way more alike than we are different. Mm. Cool. What a wonderful ending, Kim. And I thank you so much for your time and the, the sharing of what you've gone through, the experiences you've had, and the real clarity that you've gained from it and, and shared with our audience. I really appreciate that. Yeah, well, I really appreciate this conversation was so fun and uh, the time went by like nothing. So thank I, you so much. I warned you. <laughs> it's like a, it goes by nothing flat because we're in the present moment. We're sharing the things that matter, right? The, these kind of conversations, I really hope the audience does listen to, can reflect on, and it makes up for the conversations they may not be able to have. Mm. True. And and then experiment with what they learn in some way. And then come back for more. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's good. Well, thanks so much again, Kim. It's been a wonderful time with you. And I will have your information below the video along with your books and links. And uh, hopefully we'll get some response from that. Great. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome, Kim. Thank you again. And namaste and in la catch. And thank you for sticking with us for this episode of One World in a New World. I'm Zen Benefil, your host, and I will see you next time.